0: Greetings, friends. Sam Marjofsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show, coming to you live from the hottest place on Earth. I guess second hottest place on Earth. Uh, Death Valley is, I think, a touch toastier. Uh, Here we are in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. It's been a scorcher of a week. The weekend... Coming in hot, but actually cooler, should dip down into the 90s. And by the way, the desert, when it's in the 90s, is fabulous. Those of you listening in other places, in more uh, hospitable climates, uh, let me tell you, don't feel too bad for us here. The desert, when it gets warm, but not too warm, dry air, the beautiful sunsets, the sunrises here are spectacular. I think it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And I love here, uh, living here, and I love Las Vegas. I love Nevada. So I, you know, I embrace this time of year for what it is. Now, I felt a little warmer than normal this morning when I woke up, opened up some of the news articles that I wanted to review in advance of show prep today, and came upon this... This piece, I guess, on CNN the other day, they had the partner of the officer that died following the January 6th riots. Uh, the guy's name is Sicknick, Brian Sicknick. He died on January 7th. If you remember, this is the guy, the officer that was first, it was claimed that he, he was killed in the, in the riots. Later, it was found that he'd had two massive strokes and they the, the doctors couldn't connect the stroke to anything that happened to him physically on January sixth uh, trust me if if they had, we would be able to we, we would be looking at a at a murder charge at this point, right It's been a year and a half. that's been a year and a half. If you can conclusively say or even somewhat conclusively say at this point because the FBI is throwing anything they can at, at these people and say this guy we think it's possible that him getting hit uh, caused his, his his death well that's it now now you have grounds for at least murder too you've got intent and all that good stuff of people coming onto the ground so th- they would have made those charges is what I'm getting at just putting on my lawyer hat here so against this background I guess He had a a girlfriend that he was with, Sandra Garza. She goes on CNN and reveals to CNN that she received a lovely letter written by the Prince William of England. Prince William, third in line to the throne, a man likely to someday become king if his father Charles doesn't screw things up. (laughs) So then his letter, It's it's a nice note. I'm sorry for your loss, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the line that sends your host, me, through the roof. This is where my temperature went up. I was terribly saddened to hear that he passed away the following day. And I hope you can take some comfort from knowing that it is thanks to law enforcement officers like Brian that the situation did not escalate further and, wait for it, Here it comes. And democracy was upheld. I about flew out of my skin. Now, first of all, I don't need Prince William lecturing us in this country about anything. And this is a lecture. It's a lecture from a spoiled brat who's had everything given to him except for a brain. The one thing, being a member of this family could not guarantee him. I have had it also with stupid people continuing to repeat this great lie that democracy was threatened January 6th, that it was an insurrection. I am done with this. And, and, and in the background, of course, we've got this circus event going on. We have... Oh Yeah, we've got the, the buffoons on Capitol Hill. These are our buffoons, right? The, England has their buffoons. We've got ours that are running this media circus a year and a half after the January 6th riots, uh, pinning this down and, and making it seem like an inter- insurrection. And, and, and I, I, so I started looking through, friends, because I was curious about how this all evolved. Yeah, we got Prince William saying that. Yeah, think it was, it was brave officers like Brian Sitnik that stood between democracy and no democracy right, by getting lectured right by a constitutional monarch about democracy. Okay, <sighs> take his democracy, shove it anyway. But I digress. I want to get to the root of this. Right? How sick are you of hearing the words insurrection? I'm a lawyer. I look at things, I look at words, and they mean something. They have concrete definitions. For example, a woman, a man. Those words mean something. Now, the left in this country, they want to take words and they want to, I wouldn't even say muddy their their definition, that's not even it. They want to unhook words from their true, real, and actual meaning. In order to be able to redefine what things are to suit whatever the political moment is, we're disconnecting words from reality and reconnecting them to emotional vapors, right? To nothingness, to fugazi. And yes, we're doing it with matters of gender. We're doing it with words like insurrection. We do it. Over and over again, and it is a quiet. By the way, it is a quiet means of of using of using rhetoric language, rhetorical language to to, to, to reorder society. So this word insurrection. Let's get to it, right? Because I pulled up this article from MSN back in August, and they <laughs> this was when it was all looking really bad for the Democrats. Because even MSN was saying, well, you know what, we've talked to FBI agents who were there and investigating, and they basically said it wasn't an insurrection because what we found was these were small pockets of individuals that came to D.C. They were mad as hell about the election, right? Who can blame them? They showed up, and they, they went to make some noise, but they didn't have a plan. There might have been small... Groups of individuals, 12, 13, 15 proud boys that, you know, that came in and said very loudly they wanted to hang, hang Pence. Hang Pence. Okay. Well, what was their plan after? Because the definition of insurrection is an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government. Okay. All right. So we're going to hang Pence and defeating the government. Okay. And, and this is the second element take control of their country. Uh, I don't know about you, and I want to be really nice here, but the folks at that riot, I'm, well, I'm looking at these videos that are produced by the January 6th investigative, investigative committee here in, uh, on, on Capitol Hill. I'm looking to, none of these people look like they're prepared to take over the country. or have a plan. Uh, so I'm very confused by that part of it. Definitely not. And it says usually by violence. Now, uh, there were guns there. I think we need to be real about that. I know Tucker Carlson a number of others say oh, there were no guns. It, it, it's not fair. There, there were guns, and there have been a handful of convictions for people who were unlawfully carrying a firearm on the grounds of the Capitol. So, I, you know, there were guns. Were there shots fired? I mean, that's the real question. Were there shots fired? And we're going to have to take a quick break here because the only shots fired have led to one of the most unjustifiable unequal applications of the law i have seen in in this country in the last year and i i mean or year and a half I, it just absolutely blows me off. i'm going to explain what i mean by that because again if it's an insurrection i'm and there's people with guns or are, are there are, are people are are there you know and they're attempting to take over the government they got a plan i mean all of these are elements that matter and none of it happened none of it happened it's infuriating all right don't go anywhere you're listening to the what's right show sam orjowski your host here at Newstalk 840 KXNT. Accountability after an accident means more than just a settlement check. It means getting you back to 100%. We hold the insurance company accountable for what they owe you. Call Salmon Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit SamandAshLaw.com. Common Sense Conservatism dished daily here on the What's Right Show. Sam Marjofsky, your host, coming to you loud and clear from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. You're listening to News Talk 840 KXNT. Friends, January 6th was not an insurrection. Not if you speak English. In the English language, the word insurrection has a certain meaning. And I quote, an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government and take control of their country, usually by violence. MSN reported less than a year ago on this, citing their sources at the FBI, saying the FBI found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was the result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election. Quoting their sources, 90 to 95% of these are one-off cases, speaking of the individuals that were arrested in the aftermath, some 600 and counting. Then you have 5%, maybe, of these militia groups that were more closely organized. But there was no grand scheme with Roger Stone and Alex Jones, all these people, to storm the Capitol and take hostages. And there certainly wasn't any plan to take control over the country. Reuters noted that some cells of protesters, including members of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, did coordinate to break into the Capitol. But the FBI, quote, found no evidence that the groups had serious plans about what to do if they made it inside. <laughs> yes, there it is. Now, violence. A lot of conservatives have mentioned on various shows that you really couldn't have a violent takeover of the government without guns, and there were no guns at the protest January 6th. I disagree with them respectfully. I believe there were guns present, absolutely. These people came in with guns. A lot of them had guns, maybe not very many of them, maybe not a majority of them, but they weren't. I, what I didn't see in any of the videos, even the videos that were presented, right, in these hearings that have been taking place. None of the videos show people storming the Capitol, brandishing, you know, AR-15s. If you're gonna overthrow the government, you're gonna show up with some, some artillery, I, I think. And one guy got charged with having a wimpy little Taurus pistol. I, <laughs> I don't think you're gonna take over the United States of America with a nine millimeter, sir. All due respect. The only shots fired that day were through a barricaded door at a woman named Ashley Babbitt who died at the scene. And this brings me to one of my most important points of something we really ought to be talking about when it comes to January 6th, and it is the fact that Ashley Babbitt's murderer, and I'll say it like that, I'll explain to you in a minute, her murderer has been let off the hook completely. After the shooting, U.S. Capitol Police did an investigation and their office of professional responsibility, quote, determined the officer's conduct was lawful and within department policy, which says an officer may use deadly force. Now, here's, folks, where I want you to pay close attention. Which says an officer may use deadly force only when the officer reasonably believes that action in the defense, that action is in the defense of human life, including the, own, the officer's own life, or in the defense of any person in immediate danger of serious physical injury. Now, that's their standard. So, you're, you're basically, you can use, as an officer, you can use deadly force if you think that your life is threatened, somebody else's life is threatened, or anyone's life, excuse me, anyone's, any person is an immediate danger of serious physical injury. That's when you're allowed to shoot and kill as a cop in America. By the way, this is coming from the U.S. Capitol Police, who ought to be, in many ways, setting the standard for law enforcement agencies all around the country. It's a federal police force. This is model policing. Now, news, we didn't cover it here, so much going on, we, we didn't get to it, but there's been news that the officer recently was arrested who shot and killed Patrick Loya in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Christopher Schur is the officer's name, April 4th, Shot to death, Patrick Loya. Patrick Loya, he'd stopped him at a traffic stop. He gets out of his car. He then evades the officer, actually runs away. The officer runs after him, catches up to him, tackles him to the ground. And we're on the ground trying to gain control of the suspect. Patrick Loya grabs Officer Schur's taser. Now a taser, and every police officer is listening right now. You will know what I'm saying. A taser is a very dangerous thing. Okay, yes, generally non-lethal, but it, it, it can kill you. And if it uh, if it fires at you, and these guys were skin to skin, right? They are on top of each other, rolling around, and the the, the perp grabs his taser, and Christopher Sure shoots the guy dead. I watched the video. I've watched it several times. Now, we'll let this thing play out in the court of law and figure out where it goes. But I've seen the video. And I'm going to tell you right now that an unarmed, what was she, 95 pounds? An unarmed, 100-pound woman on the other side of a barricaded door is going to be less of a threat of immediate danger or serious physical injury to a police officer or anybody else than a guy who's got his hands on your taser. And every police officer, again, listening to this program right now is nodding their heads in agreement. Now, why two tracks of justice? Because if you know me, you know how appalled I am as as an American, as a lawyer, and as a human being by the unequal application of justice, unequal application of laws, unequal protection of laws. I'm all for a law. The law constitutionally cannot single people out on the basis of, well, let's say race. But functionally, laws become unconstitutionally racist if they are unequally applied, if there is selective prosecution of individuals based on their race. Now, I keep talking about race. Why am I talking about race? Well, because... Patrick Loyal was black, shot by a white police officer. white police officer has been fired and he's lost his job. Ashley Babbitt, on the other hand, was killed by Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who was black. Ashley Babbitt is white. Is there a difference? Eh, that is probably a factor. We have to be honest about that. Another factor is that Ashley Babbitt is politically undesirable to the powers that be in this country. And as such, she does not get any justice. Patrick Loya has the full authority of the state behind him getting him justice. But Ashley Babbitt, no justice for her. I'm going to tell you something here, and I know many, many people listen to this program who strongly disagree with me on pretty much everything. I don't care what you think. If you think that this was an insurrection, well, fine. Uh, you, you, we, can, we can agree to disagree. But if you think that the shooting of Patrick Loyal was just unjustified and the shooting of a- Ashley Babbitt was, in other words, uh, an, an, an illegitimate use of force by a police officer and a legitimate use of force, then I don't know what to tell you. Except for if this becomes turned on its head someday, if Republicans, conservatives become the party in power and are supported by a media establishment that, that suddenly has switched sides, you'll be furious if the unequal application of law falls against you. Do not revel in this. Do not rejoice in this. No good comes of this. This is, this is un-American. If you still believe in the greatness of this country as I do, you'll be repulsed by this. This is unacceptable. Because it's wrong. And that's really when we talk about this insurrection nonsense... Remember, the only bullets that flew that day flew right into the body of a woman who was, I believe, unjustifiably killed. All right. We got to take a timeout here. We're up against the clock, as per usual. Me and my big mouth... All right, you're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Marjofsky here. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Sam and Ash here with a What's Right PSA. If you've been hurt and a lawyer reaches out to you first, run the other way. It's unethical and honest lawyers don't do it. Don't let your lawyer choose you. If a tow truck driver, mechanic, or anyone at the ER tells you which injury lawyer to hire, chances are that person has a shady deal with the lawyer. Don't risk your future with a crooked lawyer. Choose the law firm you know you can trust. Call 702-820-1234 or visit salmonashlaw.com your favorite cisgender radio host sam rjofsky here on the what's right show coming to you loud and clear from the salmon ash studios in beautiful downtown las vegas friends Just a gentle reminder and also a shout-out to all the dads out there. Dads, happy Father's Day coming up Sunday. Unfortunately, you have to share. I say you, we. I'm a dad, too, so I'll throw myself in in the mix. We have to share Father's Day with Juneteenth. Juneteenth is celebrated on the 19th of June, which falls on Father's Day this year. The public holiday declared so a national holiday by Joe Biden the first, will be celebrated on Monday. Now, don't worry. Both our firm and this radio program will be live and working Monday. I had my producer, Macy, charge in here this morning when we were doing show prep. She goes, I can you believe this Juneteenth stuff? I haven't heard anything about it until two years ago, and all of a sudden it's this big thing. And I just and I had to, I had to assuage Macy of a few things. One, I told her to take this uh, one opportunity. Right, I I said it's going to be maybe the one day next week that my money doesn't lose value in Wall Street. So I'll take the federal holiday for what it uh, what it's likely to give me a little respite from this economic storm. (laughs) And then I said, think of Juneteenth as a celebration of Abraham Lincoln, the Republican president who ended slavery. And we had a good, uh, good chuckle about that. But of course, I do want to remind some of our friends who have not cracked open a history book that it was Abraham Lincoln who issued the Emancipation Proclamation, fought to successful conclusion, the Civil War, which ultimately led in 1865 on June 19th. The final uh, state to end slavery was Texas. It ended, and Abraham Lincoln prevailed. In the years since, some of the greatest opponents of racial integration, of racial opportunity, equal opportunity, ironically been Democrats. So... You know, just throwing that out there. I, I'm old enough, right, to remember when Bob Byrd, Senator Byrd, was in the Senate, and the man had been a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> just Democrat, of course, right? But, of course, you know, now we Republicans, we are the bad guys— and, and, it, and, and by the way, it, nothing could be further from the truth. If you are a conservative, here's what you believe. You believe in absolute, total, full, unequivocal equality. Equality among genders, races, economic backgrounds, whatnot. Now, what we do not believe, we believe in opportunity, equal opportunity. We do not believe in equal outcome. An equal opportunity is a challenging thing to to deliver in a free society, is it not? And let's be real about it, right? I mean, certain people, by virtue of the parents they're born to, have more luck, are more fortunate, than those perhaps coming from, from a struggle. But the struggle, friends, the lack of guarantees... That a meritocracy provides is precisely why exceptional humans rise from within it. And what I mean by this is when you promise equal results, equal outcomes, the natural human instinct is to be get lazy, is to accept that you're going to get a certain outcome and not do the work to get there. Conversely, when you give opportunity but say, hey, here you go, it doesn't matter if you're white or black. You know, whatever color. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you don't know if you're a man or a woman. Whoever you are, wherever you came from, here's your opportunity. Go and get it. But you've got to do it on, you know, you've you've got to do it for yourself. And that type of society... Has the, that is the embodiment of the American promise. But the minute you start to try to give it away for free or you try to give away a result or promise a result, you end up with a catastrophe on your hands. And frequently I talk about restorative justice, which is this stupid thing, especially applied in schools, that promises to take it easy and help advance Students who are lacking in opportunity, that is how the definition, one of the official definitions reads, students lacking in opportunity. So, so these kids that don't have opportunity, guess what the system does for them now? The system comes along and says, well, you don't have opportunity. So what we're going to do is make it a lot easy for you. Can't pass the class? No problem. Minimum F. Here we go. Bing. We give you 50% right off the bat for not just, you know, for breathing. What do you think that does? Because if you listen to the experts, if you listen to people that propagate this crap, what they tell you is that it helps the kids. But if you listen to teachers and you listen to people in the community and parents who see it firsthand, go, listen, to the kid is not motivated. And he atrophies. And he falls behind even more. And then he's released from this artificial world into the real world. And reality hits. And it's not a pleasant reality. And it hurts. And they ultimately end up in worse shape than if there was an equal playing field from the get-go. You know, I still remember being in school, friends. And English isn't my native language. Sometimes I say Little odd things that uh, might sound like a, a brain, you know, brain issue going on, but really, sometimes it's 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 really. I'll come up with the the word in my native language, which is Czech. I still remember being in school and struggling with English. I remember not knowing certain words, and I'll say this: by the time I was probably in the first grade, I was I was. A fair, fairly well off, certainly could communicate very well, but I had I, I I still I still remember the struggle, and I I I would just I think for a moment what would it be like if the community that I lived in the school district that I attended if their policy was bilingual education I'll give you that as an example right because that that's that's a precursor to all of this bilingual education what if. They told young Sam, listen, we're going to just teach you in your, in your native language. I'd have found that very impressive because there's only 10 million people in the world that speak Czech. So they, finding enough teachers that would be able to do that for me would be, you know, nothing short of a miracle. But nonetheless, what if they'd done that? How would that have ultimately helped me? My wife and I, we sent our son... We did the reverse with him last year when he was 13. We sent him to the Czech Republic and dropped him into a Czech-speaking school (laughs) where he was forced to pick up the language. And guess what he did? See, kids thrive when they're challenged. And my concern, my greatest concern when we look at and we celebrate holidays like Juneteenth, We've given the holiday different, meaning that is why, right, that is why Macy, my producer, is all up in arms about it because it's been co-opted by leftists who are using it to advance a racial agenda. And we don't like that. The struggle for equality among the races in this country is historic. It's something that we all as Americans ought to be very proud of. Now, all this happens, you know, this is, I'm the son of immigrants that came from Europe. I mean, we're not affiliated with this in any way, shape, or form. Many of you, though, are. There are African Americans among us for whom this is a a matter of family history. And the fact that this country was willing to fight a bloody war to the death to rid itself of the stain of slavery is actually something we ought to be proud of. So I urge you as conservatives on Monday to think of Abraham Lincoln and think of the enormous struggle and advancement their country has made and a reminder that we ought to keep moving forward, not backwards. Because the idea of restorative justice, the idea of benefits in order to create equal outcomes, to favor equal outcomes over equal opportunity... To give special privileges and benefits to take an officer, for example, who shoots and kills a white woman, the officer is black, treat him differently than the officer who is white and shoots a black man. That is not the society that Martin Luther King was striving for. I'll tell you that right now. All right, I will, I gotta touch on what is going on on Twitter. I, I think my prediction yesterday was correct. So I, I am occasionally right here. No, I'm, I'm always right. Rarely wrong. That's the catchphrase. You're listening to What's Right Show. Back right after this. Friends, I know you sometimes will miss the show because you're on the move, working, being productive members of society. And if that's the case, go find the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Look up What's Right Show. What's Right Show. That's us. And you'll find us there. You'll see the logo, the red, white, and blue. Can't miss it. And click subscribe. Follow us free of charge. Totally free. I provide this as a public service. And do so with a tremendous amount of joy. Sam Rojofsky here, your host, powering through a fabulous Friday program Look, I think this Twitter deal is going through. I said this yesterday. There was an all-hands meeting that occurred virtually, and all-hands means in business that you know, everyone in the company is invited. I don't know if the janitors are invited. Okay, that's I, I need to be clear about that. But basically everybody at Twitter was able to log into this meeting, and there were some pre selected questions that were asked of Elon Musk, and he answered them overall very well. What's interesting is that basically there were a number of employees who on their company Slack channel, this is a program that, well, we use it here at the firm. A lot of companies use it. It's a chat group, but it's a little bit more robust than a simple chat. You can bring in groups and teams and set up different rooms, and it's, it's a productivity communication tool for business. Nonetheless, on that on that channel, they somebody posted uh, just a lot of very upset comments from the peanut gallery, and these are people very unhappy with with uh, with Musk taking over. To that point, I believe he actually is doing it. He's 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 proceeding as if this is this is real. Uh, so I think I think yeah, you have to take it seriously and, and assume that this this deal is going to close. It's going to be consummated to borrow a term and i i the, but the other thing i thought was very interesting is that he backed off something having to do with remote work and he said something that literally i i was just talking about this with another attorney here in town who runs a successful firm we're colleagues competitors but we you know we respect one another and we were having a conversation about remor- remote work and it's funny because exactly what we said is what uh, Musk said yesterday, and that is uh, he he they I guess they asked him about remote work, and you know people very upset about it because it's something that was uh, presented uh, before Elon's bid to buy Twitter was presented as a, a principle of the company that all Twitter employees could work from home if they so choose chose. Prag Agrawal, the CEO, reiterated that principle. So he, uh, you know, they asked Elon about it. And Elon said apparently that it. he made it clear he strongly, strongly prefers everybody be at the office. But he would have some kind of exception for the exceptional people. And this is... <laughs> This, by the way, set off all the all the Twitter employees into a frenzy. They said that they would start adding exceptional to their resumes, declaring themselves exceptional, making them, you know, putting it on their business cards, things like that. But I'm laughing because they they miss it and they don't understand entrepreneurialism. They really don't understand business. These bozos sitting there behind their desks, you know, banning conservatives, left and right things creating a, a, a fakey, fake universe of, uh, the, of, of thought that is not in, in any way, shape, or form reflective of society as a whole. These people just don't understand how having a business, how it operates. Because what Musk is saying, he's saying, I, if somebody that is indispensable wants to work from home, well, I'm going to make a, a, an exception. And that's what we do. I, I have it here at my firm. I, I believe in, in work from the office. Why? Because when a client comes in, I want to deliver a maximum experience for that client to discuss their case. I don't want people remotely going into the meeting and being on a, on a screen. I, if the client wants an in-person meeting, everyone that is working on your case is going to be sitting in front of you. So you can see us, meet us, talk to us. We can go over paperwork. We can look at things. We, we, we can communicate. I'm a huge believer in this. I also believe in collaboration. There just is something better about being in a room with other people that you're working with and being able to stop by their desk and say, hey, I have this idea. What, hey, about this case we were just dealing with. You know, something came to my mind. And then you have the spontaneous conversation that doesn't necessarily happen on, on Slack or on, you know, through email or even through Zoom. Go. Oh, I have this thought. Okay, well, let me send a Zoom link. Let's send a request. Are you available? No, you're not. Uh, da, 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 da. I can walk by a desk, see you're on the phone. I'm gonna, you know, go to the bathroom. Come back on my way back. I see you're off the phone. We're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab you. It's that easy. And that is what Musk knows. He understands that. He viscerally gets it because he's a business guy. And these Twitter employees are all sitting there in their apartments with their four cats. And they're, they haven't showered in a week, and they're just keyboard warriors, you know, uh, fighting the good fight against evil. And they missed the point. They, but they're also, I think, deep inside panicking that they realize their jobs are on the chopping block, that mediocrity does not survive in businesses run by Elon Musk. And that occurred when we just saw the other day, Wall Street Journal reported that SpaceX... Fired employees involved in a letter critical of Elon Musk, and everybody had a meltdown. See, he doesn't like any dissent. You know, he's all about free speech. He doesn't care about dissent. You know what? My company, and I've, you know, I, I operate a large law firm, and I have, you know, how to have a software company too. And my companies, okay, I'm responsible for whether they succeed or not. I have to make payroll. If there's a shortfall in a given month, I have to write a check-in. So guess what? It is not a democracy. The only two people that have a voice in this firm is me and Ash. Because ultimately, if things go poorly, it's on us. So, and it's happened to me not recently here with this firm, but in, in past situations, you get a cabal Of employees who decide that they know better, that they have it all figured out, and they start, you know, colluding and talking amongst each other, and it always comes from a place of them not being great at their job. So they find reasons, justifications for why they're not cutting it. And then misery loves company, of course, so they like to recruit people to themselves, and what it does to productivity is puts it in the toilet. Musk you know, fundamentally, principally, viscerally gets what it's like to run a business. And he's miles, you know, up there for me. I mean, he's a smart guy. But all of us successful business people know this principle. You, you can't have a fifth column inside your organization. You, you got to get rid of people who are going to slow it down. And you have to trust that you as the leader, you as the CEO, you pick the direction. If they don't like the direction, get the hell off the train. Go start Go start your own train. Do it your way. But uh, when it comes to democracy, I'm all for it, but not when it comes to a business. Because it's ultimately, again, if the employees share in the pain, if they're co-owners in the business... And you know, one quarter you fall behind, and everybody has to sit down and write a check to to balance things out. Well, then that's fine. If they're all stakeholders, they have a voice. But if they're not, they don't. And that, I think, is a very reasonable position to take. So, friends, look, we're <laughs> another hour of radio beauty has passed. We've got to wrap it up here for the weekend. There will not be a Food Friday show. Uh, John Curtis is back. I know some of you have expressed concern. His mother did pass away last week, and so he's back, but he is under the weather. So we are going to postpone until next week, uh, Food Friday. Look forward to that. Uh, when, we, when we return, it'll be a lot of fun to have him back and catch up with him. Friends, again, the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, What's Right Show. Go find it, download it, past episodes, great material and content. Sometimes when you listen to an old show, you would be like, dang, that was when? Sam was right. Holy cow. All right. Don't, yeah, have a great weekend. Have a happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Enjoy time with your families and kids. And it's wonderful to be with you. I will see you back here live on Monday. Have a great weekend.